This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, I am told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, back at it on a Friday morning. Another edition of Play-By-Playcast. It is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters. Hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. As always, my name is Joel Godet. You can find the podcast on social media at PXPCast. Or you can hit us up uh, via email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at bsu.edu. I'm on Twitter as well, too, by the way. I don't know why I skipped that. Uh, at Joel Godet. So at PXPCast, at Joel Godet, or J-G-O-D-E-T-T at BSU.edu. Our guest today is Mick Mixon. He is the voice of the Carolina Panthers. And we'll get to Mick here in just a second. But uh, before we do that, it is it is that time of year again, folks. It is July 27th as we drop this podcast. And the summer is over. Done. Dunzo. Like, we are not even in August. There is, when I was a kid, used to have July session of sleepaway camp and August session of sleepaway camp. Now you're an adult, and there's just, there's no August. August, not part of summer. Uh, Ball State football had its Mid-American Conference Media Day Tuesday in Detroit, so I had a chance to go up to Ford Field and talk to coaches and players and um, administrators and the like and broadcasters. Um, about Mid-American Conference football and kind of start t- turning the gears toward football season, which we will do full-fledged next week. Uh, Tuesday, players report. Wednesday is the first day of Ball State football fall training camp. Our guest today, Mick Mixon, like training camp, full go. It is already underway as far as the NFL is concerned. Football season is upon us, and as broadcasters, that's... Uh, that's a terrifying thought. <laughs> that uh, that summer period goes by all too quickly. The other thing is, like, I don't even have a buffer. CrossFit games are next week. So CrossFit games, then football training camp, and, uh, and then August 30th, Ball State football kicks off with Central Connecticut State. So it is fully here. Summer is gone, and uh, we're back into the, the, the period of time of doing what we, uh, what we do, doing what we love and uh, what, what drives us each and every day. So that's the exciting part of it. But uh, time for rest, relaxation, and uh, earlier nights <laughs> is, is over. With that being said, let's dive into our guest today. Uh, Mick Mixon is the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers, and uh, he's been that since 2005. So this is his 13th season, 13th or 14th season. Um, with the Panthers, and before that, uh, held uh, a, a number of jobs. Most notably, worked for the Tar Heel Sports Network. He was a color analyst uh, to the late great Woody Durham. Uh, he also broadcast in minor league baseball in Maine, and worked uh, for some local radio stations in North Carolina and South Carolina. And uh, in 1999, he was the North Carolina 
Sportscaster of the Year. Also, and we don't get into this on the podcast, which, like, shame on me, uh, Mick also plays in a band on the side. He is the drummer for the Franklin Street Band, which is where he met his wife, by the way. I believe his wife is the lead singer. Um, and, and they were not together, and then they were in a band, and uh, now they're together. So, you know, chicks dig drummers. That's, that's why I was trying to be a drummer when I was little. And I'm just not coordinated enough to do different things with my hands and feet, let alone different things with one hand and the other and then a, a foot and another foot. I can't do four things at once. Like, they all move in, in unison. He's a drum. He drums for a band on the side. Uh, but we will talk uh, not about that today. We'll talk about his ideas of play-by-play, uh, the way he preps, the way he calls games, all of our usual uh, usual cast of subjects, and we will, as we have with a lot of NFL guys, dive into his coverage and his broadcasting of the grandest stage of them all. He broadcast Super Bowl 50 back when the Panthers fell to the Denver Broncos, so we'll talk with Mick Mixon about uh, getting a Super Bowl under his belt. Also about the analyst-play-by-play relationship, obviously uh, coming up through the ranks as an analyst on the Tar Heel Sports Network. Uh, what was it like to be in that role? How does that role influence what he does now? And also, what was it like working... Uh, Uh, with Woody Durham, what Woody Durham uh, meant to him, how he helped his career, and what he has learned um, from Woody and applied that to his career over time as well. A lot of great subjects, topics, and conversations with Mick Mixon. He is guest 112 on PXPCast. When I was a little Mickey Mixon growing up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, my original goal, maybe like you, was to be the doer of the great deeds the roller inner of the clutch, eight-foot side, he'll win the green jacket, the left-handed reliever coming in out of the pen, throwing gas on the black. But my mother smoked and drank so much during my gestation (laughs) that I ended up with this ectomorphic body type. And so I realized I had been cheated out of the genetics that were to propel me to a great career in the NBA or the NFL. So um, ever since I was about 10 years old, I just had this feeling that this, if I'm able to, this is what I want to do. I want to be a sports broadcaster. I want to be that guy that carries a tape recorder and a notepad around and tries to tell the stories. And my strident belief has always been that it's not about us. I know sports announcers have some notoriety. Uh, if, if Jim Nance or Dick Vitale, or we could name two dozen others walked into the room, the dynamic in that room would probably change. But I've always felt as though we're, if it's done right, we're the conduit through which notoriety, true notoriety travels, as opposed to the games existing so people can tune in to watch us and hear us talk. Yeah, let me dive into that uh, right off the top. I don't mean to get too nitty gritty, but uh, from a storytelling standpoint, what is it that you love about uh, how this medium allows us to tell stories uh, and just the nature of being able to tell somebody's story? Well, radio's to me, is the best medium, and I'm no social scientist, but uh, I'm almost 60 years old. I'll turn 60 in October, Joel, so I remember when the Internet came uh, to be and when cell phones became popular, and now we have the smartphone. The millennial brain consumes entertainment. The millennial brain decides what is entertaining in an entirely different way. So, But through all of it, with cord cutters, with uh, people wanting to get their information in smaller and smaller bites, the attention span shrinking down, radio rises to the top. I mean, it's portable, 
It's personal. It's there when you want it. You can put it down, pick it up at your leisure, and carry it with. We, you can carry us with you anywhere you go. Additionally, our television colleagues are still trying to artificially inseminate the kind of interplay that 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 comes more so much more naturally on the radio. TV's trying to invent it, and they're trying to say, "Okay, well, here we come back from break. Okay, Howie, you know, you and Terry make fun of of uh, of, of Strahan's tooth, and then we're going to go to a break, and it's all planned out and it's scripted. And it, to me, anyway, it feels that way. Where radio, I love our broadcast because I, I hope anyway that we create on the Panthers Radio Network that we we our goal is to create a meeting place where you can come, hang out, eavesdrop on our conversation, visit with us a little bit as opposed to sounding like caricatures of sports announcers sent over from central casting who aren't listening to one another and who 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 talk in this Ron Radio kind of stupid, uh, asinine way. You know, I always talk about doing a broadcast as when somebody drops in, I want them to be informed and I want them to be entertained. And if they come in and they know what's happening in the game and they've learned something new and they've laughed, it's been a good day. Uh, when you talk about it being a meeting place, is that kind of the approach that you take for, for what a good four hours on a Sunday is like for you? Absolutely. And then the game tells us when it's permissible. We we don't tell the game when we're going to tell the story about the Batgirl and, and the, the hot dogs and the popcorn machine or whatever it is. The game lets us know when there's a place to put a bookmark there and stop for a second and tell a story to weave a yarn, to build the drama. Uh, I think it's exactly what you said. I think that sports in the South, and I'm, I've always been a Southerner. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. I've lived in Maine. I've lived in some other places. But uh, but in the South, football isn't just what we do. It's a huge part of who we are. And baseball, uh, basketball, soccer, really the same. And sports is one of the few places you can go where someone somewhere hasn't already authored the ending. And And I think it's it, it has a hold on us. It, it brings people together. It's, um, it's, it's just a fantastic, I always say, I, I feel like I work in the toy store and <laughs> I love what our news and weather uh, fraternity members do, but I couldn't do it. I, I love, I, I love it here in the, the candy store of, of sports broadcasting. Let me go back to the, the thing about, you know, doing something where the ending hasn't been authored already and, and how you, I don't want to say, how you plan out your arc of a broadcast when you sit down uh, and you go into a game and and you think to yourself this is this is what I'm watching this is what I'm looking for these are themes that I want to be able um, to to paint consistently over the course of the game as long as it allows and then obviously let the action take you where it will uh, but kind of what's your approach of how you're going to write the book um, before you open up that cover on game day. Um, and then how you, you kind of maintain consistency and, and weave it through what happens in front of you. Well, let me start at the end because my approach begins with the end of the book, which is don't super glue your rear end to it because it can change in, 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 in one play. Uh, somebody gets hurt, somebody sprains an ankle, somebody gets carted off, starts pouring down rain, uh, starts snowing, all, all your best laid uh, plans all the, through week with all the meetings, all the <laughs> tape you've watched, all the coaches you've talked to, all of a sudden now it can change. So you got to hang loose and not take your pregame plan too seriously. Uh, also, you can't try to fit in everything that you've prepared 
to speak of because that that sounds to me that forces the, a pacing on a listener that that might be artificial. So generally, I'll end up using I don't know a quarter of what I prepare to take during a game, maybe a fifth of it. But as the old saw goes, you never know which fifth of which twenty percent you're going to need. So you got to have a hundred percent of it. And then my belief is also that this should be fun. These games should be fun. They're enjoyable. Sure, we take them seriously. There's a lot at stake. But that when 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 the game begins, we ought to have at least enough neurons to rub together to figure out a way to give the listener, the one listener, I, and I can't stand hello, everyone, welcome back, everybody. I think that misses an opportunity, particularly on radio, to communicate with people one-on-one. We know there's more than one person listening, we hope anyway, but they're they're only listening one at a time. So can I can we give that guy, that girl, that kid, that mom in the first twenty, thirty seconds of the broadcast, can we give them a reason to be interested in it? It may be a, a nuance of the strategy of the game, it may be a matchup problem one team will create, it may be the rivalry component, it may be what's at stake for the winner or the loser, but there's something in every game that that's enticing. And it's not good enough to just come on and have this watery diarrhea spew out of our mouths and say, you know, you're looking live at Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois, where today the Chicago Bears host the Miami Dolphins. That's not good enough in my view. And the better that plan is from the get-go too I have to imagine makes you more adaptable when things go wrong you know if, if you've got a better idea of where you want to go from the beginning and something gets a wrench thrown into it somebody gets hurt you know you've got to go in a different direction uh, the more comfortable you are with your plan and the more comfortable and, and I mean that generally like the more comfortable you are with your team the more comfortable with the storylines um, that's going to make your life easier to kind of reroute your story is it not agreed and, and then I, I don't have any problem at all challenging not in a in a abrupt uh, confrontational way it could be confrontational if 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 you're so moved but i don't have any problem challenging uh, my color man on our network we work with eugene robinson who played 16 years in the nfl sometimes eugene will say something that makes no sense to me <laughs> and so i don't have any problem saying now hold, wait a second hold it or even if he says something simple like, you know, this bail technique uh, against this route combination isn't working. And I'll say, well, wait, okay, go back. What's a, what's a bail technique? What's cover two? What's a China route? Because people don't know. Some people do, but some people don't. So I find that if, if people have the idea that they're not really sure, they're not really sure what you're going to say, that you might say that it's a little loose. You might say anything, or you might ask this color guy anything. Uh, then, um, then they want to listen for just a half a beat longer. How do you do that tactfully sometimes too? If if something is said where you're like, all right, I'm I'm going to push back on that a little bit, um, and I'm, I'm sure part of that is just having a good relationship with the people you work with, and and going back to having that kind of forum and conversation um, probably makes it easier. Yeah, I don't believe in tact. Uh, <laughs> no, there's no time for that. So a lot of times, for example, with Eugene, I'll say, Gene Rob. Because you, you know Eugene Robinson, we call him Gene. I'll say yeah. Gene Rob. You know I love you, but I could not disagree with you more. And he'll go, okay, okay, well, come, you know, bring it. And I'll say, all right. In the first quarter, you said Cam Newton needed to make more plays from the pocket. Now the last two, three plays, you're talking about how him getting out on the edge is stressing the defense. So which is it? 
and then let him let him defend his possession. He's a grown man. He can handle it. Some would say there, there's the argument that, you know, play-by-play guys stay in our lane and analysts stay in their lane and, and all of that. And, and I, I, I like where you're coming from, but it kind of blurs the line of that, like, preconceived notion of what we should be doing. So I guess what is what is the lane to you, and what is the true role of the play-by-play guy in, in a perfect broadcast that's done well in terms of sticking to X's and O's, but also setting up analysts and challenging analysts in, in a way that makes what you're hearing interesting? Well, first of all, in my mind anyway, there's no such thing as a perfect broadcast. This is a mistake game. True. It's, it's inexact. <laughs> we could always rack up the tape, and the calls – if you're like me, the calls you think, oh man, I, I did a, I did a pretty good job on that one. That's going to sound good on the replay. Never, it always lets me down. Conversely, the times where I think, man, that sounded like the backside of a mud fence. It works out. Uh, it, it it tends to maybe not sound quite. It's not quite as cringeworthy, perhaps, when the <laughs> tape is played back to my ears. So, uh, so to try to answer your question, uh, it's like a marriage. Uh, I would tell any man. Never don't try to outwoman the woman. She's got it. She can handle it. On her worst ever day at being a woman, she's a better woman than you'll ever be as a man trying to be like to understand her. So let the so don't so as a play by play guy, don't try to be the color guy. Don't try to outcolor the color guy. And don't try to analyze the play right after you've done the play. So that then all the color guy is left with is a l- tiny little piece on the bone to either agree or disagree with your analysis of the play you just described. Number two, uh, we got to listen. We got to listen like like a, a terrier listening for a, 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 a rat. We got to just have our ear cocked and be still and and quiet down our own voices and our own thought engine to listen to what the color guy says, because many times our next comment is in what he or she has said. Uh, Number three, we have to be nimble with the playing rules of the game. Nothing makes me more irritated than, well, actually one thing does, and that'll be number four. But number three (laughs) is, got to be nimble with the playing rules. Nothing makes me more irritated except one thing than the play-by-play guy shrieking or the color guy shrieking, he was blocked into the man, oh my God. If that's not the rule, federation high school rules are different than college rules, which are different than pro rules. So know the rules of the game that you're broadcast. And then number four, and this is the thing that gives me, if you ever hear that I have flown across the room and stabbed one of my colleagues in the neck with a mechanical pencil, (laughs) it will be the self-referential style. I detest the self-referential style. You do not need a self-aggrandizing, uh, signature call you do not need a there's your dagger there's orange in the end zone you can't paint this one purple pirate fans just call the game call the play you don't need the let michael buffer have the you know let's get ready to rumble let let that be what it is but you be you be a journalist you be a sports announcer let the game tell you what word choices to make you don't need a self-aggrandizing email handle you don't need to be uh pat's voice at gmail.com uh jags p by p by p man at i mean seriously like you know mick dot mixing at at gmail dot that was taken <laughs> i don't want to see your personalized license plate where where you're calling unnecessary attention to yourself because it all just sends a bad message so the self-referential style tom brady told me last night in the hotel 
just give us the story. You know, Peter King, he refers to himself so many times in his columns that it's hard to really get it into focus of whether the column is about the pro football or about Peter King and pro football. And I guess he's earned that, but for, for most of us, we should just try to connect the listener, the viewer, the reader to the game. Let me back it up a little bit on you. Um, and I'm curious, the, the beginning of your career, when you were at North Carolina, uh, you wore the analyst hat too. So you've been in both chairs of that broadcast um, number one, uh, what did you, well, like, well, we'll do it one at a time. Uh, what did you think when you had an opportunity to, to be an analyst on an FBS and a UNC at your alma mater broadcast, uh, and, and put yourself in that role? For my overarching sentiment was I'm a broadcaster. I know about the, I know how to host a pregame show. I know how, I think I know how to build a drama. I think I know how to tell a story, but I don't know nearly enough about the, the strategy I don't know nearly enough about the games and and how they're officiated uh, from not having had the jock strap on, played left guard for old Wasamata U, uh, played in the you know the Poulan Weed Eater Bowl and all that. <laughs> so I felt like I had I had to work harder to hang around the batting cage, to be in the locker room, to be at practice. I'd move the planets around if I could to get to a practice. I would drive to Winston-Salem or Durham or Maryland even, or if I could get an in-person interview with the opposing head coach, hang out, talk a little bit. I I would spend my own money for coaching tapes. You know, Mike Krzyzewski had some unbelievable, this is back in the days of the VHS. You know, you get the, you get the, the, the cassette, big cassette that comes in the mail, the two part series on coach K on his, you know, on his two, three motion offense and pressure man to man defense. And what a rich vein of, of knowledge that is for a, a, a color analyst. And then the biggest thing, Joel, was I tried to teach myself. I trained myself. And this was hard work. I mean, not hard work like taking out somebody's pancreas, but hard work, in the, in the, again, in the toy store. And that is don't watch the ball. How many people do you think are, are ball watchers? If there's, if there's 25,000 people watching a basketball game, if there's 70,000 people watching the football game, how many eyes are on the ball? Nine, Almost all yeah, of them. 98%. I know. But when you watch the ball, you see very, nothing, really. You see the point guard bringing the ball up court, but there's – and maybe he's being picked up at midcourt by a defender, but what about the eight other guys? How are they jockeying for position? How's the defense setting up? How's the offense getting into to their continuity? Same thing with football. Quarterback fades back, cocks his arm. That's great. Play-by-play guy has to watch that. But the color guy, that's the sucker. That's the slicker game, the three-card Monty of all time. If, you're, if the color guy's watching the same game the play-by-play guy is, you might as well have blinders on. So to not watch the ball, to look off the ball, that was the most fun. And actually, the color guy gets to watch a better game than the play-by-play guy does. All right, we'll get you back to Mick Mixon here in just a second. But quickly, I want to give you a, a note about audible.com. First off, here's the deal. If you go to the website, audibletrial.com forward slash PXPcast right now and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you will get one free audiobook to keep. So you're getting two free things. You will get a free 30-day trial to use audible.com, which I'll tell you about in a second, and you will also get one free audiobook to keep. So two free things for the price of zero. The good news is you help out the podcast by using that address, Audible. 
trial.com slash pxpcast. All right, what is audible.com? Listen, it's a website you go to get audiobooks. Somebody reads books to you. Audible.com. And if you go this week, you can listen to the book The Fix. It's an audiobook about beating the odds in life, about addiction, college life, getting caught in a downward spiral and finding a way out. Human nature at its worst and at its best. The cover art is an exploding football with money. You know who reads it? Uh, Alex Perlman. I went to college with him. The only reason I know about this book is because he posted that he has narrated this book um, on Facebook. So I was like, hey, that book's on Audible. I know, Alex, if you sign up for a free 30-day trial on audibletrial.com slash pxpcast, you can go get The Fix as your free audiobook, too. Uh, So here's a good couple of things. Uh, You can help out Alex Perlman in his burgeoning career narrating audiobooks. You can help out the podcast by, you know, signing up and letting them know you you heard about it through us. And then you can test out audible.com, see if you like it. And if you do, hang around for a little bit. Uh, Back to the pod. End of ad. How much of that, and obviously, ball watching is probably, you know, you have to do that as a play-by-play guy, but how much of that in terms of the prep and in terms of watching the tapes and, and the things you did to prepare yourself as a in a color role, uh, would you then turn around and recommend to a play-by-play guy to give him or her a, a different and better perspective and just a more educated view uh, now that you've seen it on both sides? Yeah, if I could. I mean, maybe someday I'll, if people will be reading books, people may not even read books anymore by the time I retire. <laughs> in a little while, but, um, there'll be chips you know, maybe in your I'd brain write a book on do what there'll be chips in your brain. It just downloads. Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. probably. I know. Uh, but, um, I mean, I thought about sort of writing a book on the, you know, the aspiring sportscasters Bible, a guide for the aspiring sportscaster and those who love them and, um, tell some, tell some stories about how not to do it. And the many, uh, ruts that my wheels have chalked into over, over a lifetime of doing this. But, um, I think that, if I could talk to the play-by-play guys, it would be uh, try to sit in that other chair, even just to pretend. Go to a game, go to a high school game, girls volleyball, church league softball, Pop Warner football, doesn't matter. But try it yourself. What would you say if you were going to analyze the play? That will give you an incredible, um, I think, an incredible perspective, if you haven't done it, on what it's like to sit in that other chair. And then, again, you got to – I mean, I will t- I'll tune off – in a, in a heartbeat, if I hear the play-by-play guy, if I know the play-by-play guy is not listening to the color guy, doesn't that irritate you? Yep. They just, the color guy will say something. And he repeats He'll say, Mick, number 21, Mike Cook, a right-hander warming up in the bullpen. Well, right you are, Fred. And look, down in the bullpen, there's number 21, <laughs> Mike Cook warming up. I mean, what a doofus. How is it? Uh, I mean, when you look back, what have you taken? How's it helped you? How how much are you beneficial and thankful uh, of the fact that you had that role now looking back on it years later? I wouldn't take anything in the world for it. Uh, I was, uh, I, I came along in that role at a time when, and I don't even know how I got it. I don't know how I, <laughs> that I was able to, to be the color man on a major Southeastern radio network for football and basketball. And now we brought other people in. We brought in Phil Ford for a year or two, Eric Montross, Rick Steinbacher on the football side, down on the sideline. But, I mean, for the most part, I was uh, a big part of my job was to uh, to try to analyze the game, and I tried to do that in a in a, 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 a full, fair, accurate way. I can't stand – I mean, there's no need to be a homer. There's no need to try to scream, you know, oh, my God, or can you believe it? Or are you kidding me? Or any cliche like that? Cause Woody, my, the play by play guy, he's, he's already doing that. He's already got 
that part of the broadcast handled. So I tried to be like Wilfred Benitez, one of the great counterpunching boxers of all time. Uh, Google Wilfred Benitez up if you don't know who he is. Sugar Ray Leonard and Benitez had great fights. It was like they were, Leonard said it was like looking into a mirror. That's how good a counterpuncher Benitez was. And I think a good color man, uh, on, on, particularly on radio, should be able to counterpunch. Uh, for those at home, uh, 31 KO wins for Wilfred Benitez in his career. Uh, <laughs> as, as I Google there sitting we go. here. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Woody, though. Uh, you know, you also, you weren't just an analyst, you were an analyst for Woody Durham. Uh, what did you learn about play by play by not doing it and by just sitting there and watching him? Woody would get excited. Uh, he had a vocal register that that he he reserved for the greatest Tar Heel moments, but he also had a high vocal register for when the other team did something good. And he would occasionally get criticized for that, but he believed that the broadcast deserved that. That even though you might not be happy that that uh, that that your team lost or that the other that, that Florida State you know, that Charlie Ward had made a great run and made five people miss, three of whom would later go on to play in the NFL and got the first down. But it's an exciting play. So describe it in an exciting way. Woody was great at that. Uh, Woody prepared like I, I don't know if anybody ever has before or since. Woody, Woody had an insistence on uh, preparation that bordered on the unhealthy. I mean, he would – especially if it was a game that he thought may not have the, the gravitas. If it was a, you know, we would broadcast the exhibition game. So Dean Smith Tar Heels playing the Yugoslavian national team. And, and I remember one instance where that came right after a football, we broadcast a football game and then hustled over to the basketball arena to do an exhibition basketball game. So Woody unpacks his spotter boards and it looked like the wiring diagram for the space shuttle. I mean, he had, He'd worked harder on these Yugoslavian cats than, than, than other broadcasters might broadcast in a Final Four game. And, and I'll, as long as I live, I'll never forget the, the depth and the consistency of his preparation. What about it? Uh, what stood with you about it? And, and are, is there anything that you took from it that you still use to this day? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, it would, I'd love to be able to say, you know, I, I do, I, and I do it the same way, but I, I think that would be, that would be, I'd be naive to do that. No. Woody had his own style, his own way of describing it, but you work with a guy long enough, you tend to be about as nutty as he is. So some of the things that he, that I swore I would never do, uh, kind of can rub off, uh, rub off on you if you're not careful. And, and, you know, Woody passed away back in um, his memorial service was the Sunday at Augusta. And he's no longer with us, but his, uh, you know, his legacy is secure as one of the all-time greats. Is it intimidating to be a, the, the analyst, you know, especially because you weren't coming into it with the background of a player and, and you had to do so much work that you talked about to get yourself to a spot where you were comfortable doing it. Uh, was it intimidating to be the sidekick for a guy like Woody Durham uh, coming up in your career? It probably should have been, but I was too, too young and dumb to know that I should have been intimidated. Uh, Woody could be intimidating. I mean, Woody had this, um, he had sort of a, a seriousness about him. And I think that's one reason people listened to him the way they did, Joel, because the games were important to Woody. The outcome mattered to Woody. 
he loved playing golf. I love playing golf. We used to have these epic matches, Woody and, and Lee Pace against Art Chansky and me. A lot of times after a Saturday game, we'd meet out this golf course in Chapel Hill, the Governor's Club, and play 18 holes. And I remember one time seeing Woody on the first tee on Sunday morning. I said, Woody, how you doing? He said, not too good, Mick. <laughs> and I said, well, well, why? I mean, has everything okay? Are your sons okay? Is Gene okay? I'm thinking, you know, somebody got a bad diagnosis. Somebody was in a car wreck. He goes, well, I'm trying to get over that seven-point loss to Virginia, if you don't mind. <laughs> and I literally had to think back, okay, Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was yesterday. The Cavaliers did beat the Tar Heels, didn't they? Well, and I, I had forgotten. Obviously, it hadn't affected the quality of my life because I had I wasn't even thinking about it. But, man, Woody, he he took it personally. How much has that carried over to you, though? Because, like, I've seen interviews with you where you've said, like, you love the Panthers like second only to your wife. Um, how much does it help you to have that live and die with what you're watching mentality? Well, so long as you keep it, I think it helps you, but I think you got in healthy perspective. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and again, it goes back to, to me, it goes back to, it goes back to, to journalism. You're, you are, do you realize how many other people within a hundred miles of you would give anything to call the game you're calling. And they'd probably be pretty good at it. Maybe better than we are, but we're the ones that have been somehow or another, we're the ones that have been trusted to represent all those people who would love to ask the post game questions, who would love to sit in the press box. If, if only they, they could. So we have to keep our heads about us and, this just in from the news desk, the Panthers occasionally catch a break. So we we got to say it like that. We got to say foot was out of bounds, but we snapped it. They didn't stop the game. Let's move on. Panthers got lucky. So I think if you have the credibility, you try to have the credibility in your listener's mind so that when you do – when you do feel like maybe you got you got wronged in some way, or you do want to make another point, you're not just this boy that cries wolf all the time on the air, and and uh, and you plus you can't understand. I hear these calls on YouTube and other broadcasters, and they sound like when when the ball when when the game ending home run or when the the field goal goes to the uprights or whatever, they sound like someone has stepped on a chicken, or they sound like a little schoolgirl that's been uh, that, that's had their cell phones taken away. They're just this shrieking, and I can't really understand even what they're saying. Maybe I'm old school. I don't know, but I, where, where is the value in that? Are we journalists? Is that a where do you think kind of what we do falls on the the journalistic spectrum? Well, it's slipping away. Uh, I think the journalism component is slipping away because of Facebook and. Instagram and Twitter, and everyone is so concerned with their brand. Uh, I believe that scarcity breeds momentum. So I'm not on social media. I don't tweet. I don't blog. I don't, I mean, I may have to someday. If my employer asks me to, I will. I'm all in if they want me to. But I don't see, I don't have a need to, to be out there saying, well, here I am. Here Joel and I are at the Ball State game. Dig me. I'm with him. My arm's around him. I, I just think that. 
our energies are better spent trying to learn about these athletes, learn about the coaches, learn about the officials, and broadcast the game as best we can. And then when that's over, go home and, and hang out with our families. How do you walk the, the journalistic line, too, though, of like, – you're a Panthers employee, correct? Correct. Um, of, you know, if, if the going's good, it's easy, but if the going's not good, it's being able to paint the accurate picture and say what needs to be said descriptively, even if that's not the easiest thing to hear. Well, you're right, and I'm, that's a good, a good call on that by you. I, we're lucky in the Carolinas that so far – now, we have a new owner, David Tepper, but uh, Mr. Richardson, uh, this will be my 14th season with the Panthers coming up, and in 13 seasons – with Mr. Richardson, I never one time got called into the principal's office on second guest <laughs> on a word choice or, you know, why do you sound like you turn fan on us or why do you say this or why do you say that? There's a trust factor that, that's involved. And then as a result, as a broadcaster, you want to you, you work extra hard at every Rotary Club, every Civic Club, every time the mic's on to, to not let your employer down. Um. What's the? Let me go back to uh, if I can. The name of your what? What was the book name that you had? That was very well thought out. <laughs> oh, thanks. I don't know. I just was noodling around on it. Oh, really? Ago. Okay. Had, and of course, I hadn't written it yet, so that's the big. Well, yeah. That's the little box I still have to check. It, just, but it, it sounded very that, like it sounded very put together for a book that like hadn't totally been written. I was like, wow, he's really put some thought into this. <laughs> no, I fooled you. See, I sucked you in and you thought I had actually had a plan, but it's uh, the aspiring sportscasters Bible. And then the sort of bit, the next line would be a, a guide for the aspiring sports announcer and those who love them. Um, what else, uh, what else would be in the book? Or if I sat down at uh, journalism 191 in North Carolina, um, what, what else would you point out as uh kind of your your basic introduction to what we need to do in this role or what uh what you see done wrong in this role uh too much for your liking well first thing you would learn the the value of of a courageous thoughtful open-ended question non-self-referential question non-statement question non-premise question you just would you'd learn the value of asking questions about not just about X's and O's and strategy, but, but about the emotions of these games and, and how, the, what feelings these games bring up for, for the people who play them and coach them. This is lost to us. I don't know why or how, but this is, we've turned into this pathetic uh, statement factory or you no know, coach, you have to be pleased with this outcome. Coach, one more question, if I might. I thought your defense tonight was outstanding. <laughs> Coach, turnovers. You know, it just makes me want to. It just makes me want to to go work on a, a pipeline somewhere, go into landscaping business or something, where at least I can trust in 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 the skill level of the people that I'm working with. So that would be one thing. Um, there'd probably be a chapter on taking what you do seriously, but not taking yourself too seriously. Uh, there'd be, um, uh, there'd be, uh, there'd be all kind of stuff. I don't know. I have to, I don't want to take up your whole podcast, but, uh, but that'd be some of what I, what I would love to write someday. What's, uh, my, my favorite question when I do interviews with people is why, uh, just because I feel like it, it you know, if some, it, they're going to give you an answer and make a statement. And sometimes, 
I feel like a lot of times they it's never a there's always somewhere else it can continue to go and I feel like when you just ask simply why you help lead them down a path that gets you a little bit of a deeper um deeper answer to what you were looking for what do you what are things that you like to ask um of people that you feel give you a a better insight into who they are and what they're thinking I like to ask about about the the human side I like to ask and then every interviews are different. There's the feature, there's the personality profile interview where you can get a little more long form. There's the pregame interview. Then there's the postgame interview. So there's no one size fits all. But in general, I'm like you, Joe. I really like, I like asking how did it feel and what was, what motivated you and, 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 uh, and that kind of thing. You know, what was it like when the door closed and you guys got in the locker room and celebrate, you know, just sort of the emotions. Cause I think, this is something that women do so much better than us dumb head men do. You know, men, we could spend hours and hours together and we'll talk about the, you know, we talk about speed week at Darlington and, and about the Mayweather Pacquiao fight and about, you know, whether the, you know, whether the, the, the Dodge charger or the Dodge challenger would be a better in, investment, you know, muscle cars <laughs> of the late sixties and early seventies that, that we have loved. And we might never talk about how we feel about anything. But yet a group of women, they get together, and in the first liter of oxygen that they use up in conversation, they're talking about their emotions. And so I think that, uh, men, we need to try to be more like that in our interview style. Let's, let's, not forget that these, let's not forget that it's the emotion of sports that attracts us to it, for peace sake. Let me ask you about uh, the biggest moment that you've—I uh, don't know—maybe that's an that's an assumptive statement, um, but maybe the biggest moment. Um, and I'm sure there was a good deal of emotion wrapped up in it. Uh, you've called a Super Bowl. Um, what's that like, and how is it different than a normal Sunday at the office for you? The pregame was unbelievable. Uh, Super Bowl Fifty, when. Stephanie Germanata, a.k.a. Lady Gaga, <laughs> sang the national anthem with only a piano player accompanying her. And she's an exquisitely talented singer and piano player, uh, but she had a, a, a piano player playing while she sang. So there's no, there's no Spartacus pomp and circumstance, 30,000 uh, people in the background dancing and confetti and and m80 fireworks going off it was just her in a, a a very difficult tricky song to sing about an octave and a half range in the national anthem and she crushed it and she jumped and she's so happy with her performance she jumped into the keyboard player's arms uh, the blue but most people didn't see that because as she finished it a squadron of i guess i don't know f-18 multi-purpose supersonic fighter bombers, fighter jets, the Blue Angels came screaming overhead, flying about as slow as they could possibly fly, by the way, so they could still stay in the air so it, so to prolong the moment. But that roar, that rumble, and then when I looked down, I saw her. It's emotional for me to even talk about. Um, but when I saw her jump into her keyboard player's arms and, and you know hug him, she knew she had done it. And, you know, he knew it too. They had their moment, blue angels flying over. They're the Panthers on one sideline, the Broncos on the other. The older I get, the more 
I'm unable to keep my badastic alpha male uh, persona and not have the emotions come back to me. It was just, it was incredible not to, to broadcast it really. Cause it was nothing to, for me to broadcast because it happened. We were probably in commercial break, but just to see it and feel it at the conclusion of a long NFL season, following the Panthers all around that journey. Uh, it was, it was unbelievable. I really enjoyed it. How do you keep from, any of that getting to you in the moment like how do you how do you keep yourself in the moment in a, in a setting like that where there's so much going on and it can almost be um like you know emotional overload or sensory overload um and being able to do what you're there to do ultimately um and and with so much information and so many different there's just there, it's like too much birthday um to be able to sort through the noise sounds you know i don't mean it as as pejoratively as that um but to sort through the noise and and still just call a game i don't know um i guess i guess we did it <laughs> so i should be able to tell you how to do it i guess we did it but once the i think the answer is this that once the game starts it, it's the game so closely resembles other games that you've done that it just becomes that it becomes just broadcasting a game. Now, had the Panthers won, my answer might be different. Had the Panthers, had it come down to the last second or the last minute, then then I think the, you know, the oh my gosh factor comes back in when the game starts to end, and you realize again what's at stake. But for the most part, it's you know most of the most of the the, the things that could get you off stride happen in the pregame. What's the prep like for a game like that? Uh, and how do you narrow down what you're going to read that week <laughs> or two weeks? Well, you're out there. We were out there for uh, the Panthers went out. It's two weeks after the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. So we went out there. I guess I was out there in California for eight days. And so there's just – you feel like Groundhog Day. You know, you go to practice, <laughs> get on the bus, do a bunch of interviews, the biggest problem I have is in saying no. I don't say no very well. I try to be a try to be a pleaser. So, you know, the 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 big Jim McBob's podcast coming out of his living room. Mick, can we get you on tomorrow morning at six o'clock? Yeah, yeah, sure. Here's my number. <laughs> I ended up everything from you know NFL Network and the things we all do to 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 people I never heard of before or since wanting me to come on. I don't. I try to do everything. I try to say yes to everything. So I was pretty exhausted by the time uh, the day before the game got there. So I said to myself, self, here's an idea. Shut it down for, for, for one day prior to the game. Just hang out with your wife, go into San Francisco, do a little sightseeing. You don't have to broadcast. You know, you don't have to do Dick Enberg's entire career in one day. So just, just shut up and get over yourself. And that worked kind of well, I think. Let me go uh, broad picture as I kind of, if we can bring things back uh, to, uh, I guess, the beginning. Um, did you ever think that you'd be uh, kind of here as, as an NFL voice when this all started out? And and now that you've got the, the perspective of it, uh, for us that are on the younger side of the spectrum, um, what's the difference for you when you look at uh, people that are in the league that you're in um, and there's only so many of those jobs uh, across the four major sports. Uh, the difference in, in, in being able to call games at that level um, and, and 
you know, those that are, I don't want to say AAA announcers, but you know what I mean? Like trying to crack that next level. What's the difference? How do, how do guys make that leap and what's the separator do you, do you think at that level? A lot of it's luck of, because of, there's tons of talented guys and girls really that are decide that maybe even for lifestyle reasons that they're happy at a smaller college. And, you know, I had my, um, had, had, had it been different for, for me, I would have been, I just wanted to be a sports announcer. I was, to, I would have been totally happy. You know, I'm again, I'm in the Southeast. So around here, there's these beautiful small colleges, some big schools too, but, uh, but college at Charleston or Furman or uh, Wofford or, you know, you go on up to an ACC school, maybe a Wake Forest, Duke, certainly UNC. There's a ton of, there's, there's something magical about a college campus. So, to do the games, to MC the, the banquets, to speak at the Rotary Club, to teach a few classes uh, in the journalism school, the communications department. And that's a good, that's a great life. That's an incredible life well lived if it's done right. So I would say don't stress too much about what you're, what you're, you know, work on your craft. Don't stress too much about networking and marketing and getting your name out there. Just work on being the best that you can be at this and then trust that the system will 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 find not that you can, you know I mean, you still have to put yourself out there and and sell yourself i'm not saying that but i find so many people that are they're so desperate to let you know that they want to work at they want to work at this level that sometimes i think they miss some of the the the, the fundamentals that that could um could make you a good employee should you get that opportunity well and miss the process i guess in there too is you're too worried about the end game to ultimately enjoy the, the the tracks that get you to the station. That's the metric for me. Is do you do you do you do you look, seem like a good guy? I'm on your podcast right now. One of the reasons that I'm on it, I would have been on it if you seemed like a schmuck. But <laughs> one of the reasons I've enjoyed it is because you've always seemed to me on and off the air like a decent chap, like you'd be, like we could if we if we got stuck in an airport. Uh, we got thrown together in a, on, on the same foursome on the golf course. Uh, if we broadcast the same game together in the press box, uh, eat a meal, that time would, would, would go by effortlessly. And that's kind of what I look for in people that I listen to and in people that I recommend for, for jobs and hope get good jobs is that do you have the gift of humor? Are you, can, do you, can you laugh at yourself, but yet can you be counted on to – uh, to 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 connect me to the game in a in a in a in a way where I feel like I'm there even though I'm not, without sounding like you're trying to win the you know the Clio Award for for meritorious broadcast. Well, I like to think I'm a good chap sometimes, but if we're on the golf course, it, it, I don't know. It, it depends on how competitive you are. You might hate me after about two holes. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like the sound of that. If you want to win, I mean, you know. Well, no, no, no. I meant like, like, while. like. Well, I mean, if we were in a scramble, like, I wouldn't be much of use. Like, I, I pretty much can only putt. Uh. That's like saying, that's like saying that I'm a stock market, I'm a stockbroker, but the only thing I can really do is pick good investments. <laughs> Putting is where it's at. So I'd take you on my team anytime. Fair enough. I just won't drive. Once we get to the green, I'll handle it. Put a windmill there. I'll be even better. It'll be awesome. 
All right, that's Mick Mixon joining us here on episode 112 of Play by Playcast, voice of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, a lot of good things in there, but I want to touch on something he got to at the very end, which was just be good at play by play as broadcasters. Obviously, you have to promote yourself. Like, that's part of the world we live in today. Social media is big. Make sure you have a presence. Um, I, I mean, you listen to any podcast about successful people, not just in broadcasting, but in business and in anything. It's always about, like, inventive ways, innovative ways to get yourself noticed. When you're in a job interview, how do you make somebody remember you versus the other guy? Um, well, well, there's a lot of – a gimmicky is not the right word, but gimmicky. There's a lot of gimmicky things you can do to stand out to move yourself up in the world, um, you know, to to get yourself noticed on YouTube or on a podcast or on play-by-play. Like, oh, he's the guy that does this. And, and, and that works for a lot of people. And, and there are a lot of broadcasters, um, many broadcasters, who have been uh, good at self-promotion, which is a lot of the reason, coupled with their amazing talent, of, of why they get to a certain stage. But I think what Mick says there, too, is really important. You have to promote yourself at some level, but on another level, just be good at your craft. And ultimately, if you are really good and you just continue to refine what you do and you make it awesome, the odds are, you're not guaranteed, certainly not, but the odds are somebody's going to find you. If you work on your craft and you make the right connections and you reach out to the right people um, and you, 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 you're a good colleague to those around you and you just become really, really good at play-by-play, like if you're just that good and you get to the point where you can be that good, you're going to ultimately get somewhere in your career and in your life that you're happy. There is some self-promotion, certainly. That goes along with that. Um, but I think to a certain degree, too, we we do overemphasize that a little bit. And at the end of the day, just be good at what you do. Because of all things, it is the one thing you are in 100% of, of control of. Like, I can be the most innovative self-promoter in the world, but I don't know how other people are going to take it. Maybe it works to somebody, somebody else finds it annoying, and somebody else just doesn't care. But if I am the most amazing, awesome, greatest play-by-play, God's gift to radio ever, that's going to get you somewhere. So just be better. Like, approach every broadcast as a chance to get better and get better. And put your head down, nose to the grindstone, and be you and be a good person to those around you. And hopefully, you know, the karma pays off in the end. And you've gotten good enough at your craft that somebody just has to hire you because you're that dang good. Just be good at play-by-play because it's the one thing of all of it you are 100% in control of. And we'll leave you uh, with that note as uh, we hit the uh, the season full stride here. I'm going to the CrossFit Games next week. I will be talking to you from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, our guest will be Paul Peck. He is the football radio play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bulls. 
after that, we'll see uh, we'll see what's in store here on the podcast. Um, and then it's football training camp. We are full steam ahead. Until then, uh, so long. They're playing music, so time to get up on out of here. We'll talk to you next Friday from the land of cheese and people that aren't eating it because they're really fit. I'm Joel Gadette. See ya.